Well, hey, we're on week two of a series that we're calling Lessons Learned. And this is basically about the process. I've been uh, a believer in Jesus now for over 30 years, and I... I didn't have the foggiest clue at the beginning what following Jesus was all about. Had no idea. Didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up being taught the basic things of God. And so I was completely clueless at 19 when I came to faith. And uh, it took a long time for me to kind of see what was happening. It, It took time. And so this is a series basically going through some of the lessons that I've learned over the last 33 years or so. And uh, last week, we talked about the fact that God calls on regular, everyday people like you and me. Some people think that, you know, oh, as a pastor, super fancy, important. Ooh, you know, uh, God calls on normal people like you and me. He calls on some to go into ministry, and he calls on the rest to be full-time Christians and to serve him in powerful, mighty ways. But he calls on regular, everyday people, unschooled, ordinary people. And so that was last week. This week, the sermon title is, It's Your Move. So as I look back over the years, I've had times of of spiritual vibrancy where I'm growing in the Lord and God is moving in my life and showing me things and intervening and I'm I'm grabbing hold of the power of God. And then I've had other seasons of just dryness and not really connecting with God and just sort of going through the motions and living my life. And God seemed very distant. And so as I looked at that over time, I thought, what was the difference? What was the difference between those? And Basically, the difference is when I sought after God, when I was seeking after God, God responded. And when I didn't bother to seek after God, when I didn't bother to pray, when I didn't bother to study, when I didn't bother to come to the altar and pray, when I didn't bother with those things, then God seemed distant and I wasn't connecting with the power of God and the revelation of God and the goodness of God in my life. It just kind of you know, dryly going through the motions. And so today we're talking about it's your move. That means that if you want to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, it's your move. It's time for you to do something. It's time for you to initiate that relationship with God, for you to reach up to God, to connect with God. It's time for you. When I prayed, when I sought after God at the altar, or when I went to a conference to try to grab hold of something from God to grow, uh, or if I just talked with the Lord, you know, on my daily commute, just things like that, then God responded. It's your move. That means it's time for you to initiate, to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth and take responsibility to sow into your relationship with God. It's your move. It's time for you to do something. And this idea, it's your move, is a biblical theme. It's all over the scriptures. Matthew 7, uh, 7 and 8 is something that we'll talk about a couple times during this sermon time. And it says this, Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mountain. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, to the one who knocks the door will be opened. 
So here we see that Jesus is telling us to take the initiative. You be the one who seeks. You be the one who knocks. You be the one who asks. If you ask, if you seek, if you knock, then God will respond. But there is no promise here that God will do it if you don't ask, if you don't seek, if you don't knock. There is no promise that that will happen. So this is basically Jesus saying, it's your move. Go ahead and ask. Go ahead and seek. Go ahead and knock on the door. God will respond. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 is very similar. Hebrews 4, 16 says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. So who's the one who takes initiative? We are. It's our move. We are to approach the throne of grace. It's our responsibility to take the initiative for our own spiritual growth and our own relationship with God, to develop that relationship with God. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We see the same thing in James Chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Now, these were some church people that were having some serious problems. And here's what James has to say to them in these three verses. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So here we see self-centered Christians, selfish Christians, people who are just interested in their own things, and they don't even bother to ask God for it. And they're mad because they don't have things, and they're fighting and quarreling, and it says here, killing. I'm not sure exactly the details of that, but it doesn't sound good to me. These are some nasty Christian people here. You do not receive because you do not ask God. It's your move. James is saying to them, look, you need to ask God and you need to ask God with the right heart. Don't ask God with selfish motives. Ask God to help you be part of advancing his kingdom. So it's your move. You do not have because you do not ask. And let's go to 2 Chronicles 7, 14, a, a verse that in recent years has really been played out quite a bit. You know, all kinds of stuff is based on 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Uh, and it says this says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So this is a call. Look, it's your move. Israel is going bad because you've turned away from God. It's your move. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. So the responsibility is on the individual or in the case of 2 Chronicles 7.14, the nation. It could be the responsibility of the church or the community to seek after God, to go after the things of God. It's your move. Now, of course, this is a bit of a rule of thumb. You know, God does do things apart from us initiating. <laughs> uh, so this is a bit of a rule of thumb. I think it's easy to understand what I'm trying to say. You know, we need to seek after the Lord to receive the things of God. 
but God does move on his own. If he wants to knock Saul off of his high horse on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and say, look, I'm sick of you acting this way. It's time for you to change. God can do that. If God wants to appear to Mary and say, you know, send an angel and say, look, I've got a plan for you. And it's going to be to be the mother of the Lord. You know, she didn't initiate that. She was a faithful woman of God and she had tremendous character and she was chosen by God, but she didn't initiate that. And there are times where you might be wandering way far away from God and just in the spirit, God prompts in your heart something and he, he speaks to you. Those things do happen. So I'm not saying that uh, that everything is up to you. God is sovereign. He can do what he wants. He, can, he moves in this world. But what I am saying is this. If you think you're going to have the fullness of a vibrant relationship with God when you don't seek him, when you don't pray, when you don't read your scriptures and try to find the truths of God and live them out, when you don't spend time at the altar, at conferences, seeking the Lord, times of fasting and prayer, if you don't do those things, you're just not going to have the full vibrant life of following Christ that you could have. You're going to miss huge things of God. So that's what I'm trying to say. I think it's fairly simple to understand You have to do the things that are required. You have to seek. You have to be the one who asks. You have to be the one who knocks. You must initiate early and often in your relationship with God. Now, to make this simple, I just say, if you want to be growing in your faith, do four things. This is very simplistic, but it can be helpful if you just want something easy to grab hold of. Do these four things, you'll be growing in your faith. Show up for the big group meeting. This is where we have strength. This is where we can do missions together. This is where we can build buildings at the camp in Lake Geneva. This is where we can make a big difference on a global scale is when we gather together in the large group meeting. But that's not where you're going to get personal relationships and friends that help you through. So you need to be part of a small group, whatever that is. I don't care if it's an organized official small group or you just have some Christian friends that you can live life together with. So big group, small group, then personal devotional time, spend time with the Lord on your own, by yourself, reading the scriptures, praying, seeking the Lord, asking him questions, asking him to fill you with the spirit and to show you through the spirit, uh, his revelation knowledge about what's going on. So big group, small group, personal devotions, and then find a way to serve the Lord, find a way to be active in the cause of Christ. If you just do those four things, I believe you're going to be growing in your faith, big group, small group, personal devotions, just you and God, and then serve. That's ways that you can initiate, that you can take your move and go forward with it. Let me talk about a couple personal stories. We read Matthew 7, 7 and 8 earlier, and these were the verses that were the difference for me in being away from God, being lost versus coming in and coming to faith. When I read these verses, uh, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. I thought, well, that's pretty straightforward. If I ask and I seek and I knock and nothing happens, then I know this is baloney. But if I ask and I seek and I knock and the door does open, then I'll know. And so as a non-believer who was seeking, I went ahead and prayed a prayer 
and quoted Matthew 7, 7 back to God. And he responded. He responded to me. He didn't respond until after I prayed. It was my move. He was ready. He had put it all together, but it was my move. I took that initiative and I prayed and God responded. Another time, this was 1995, Promise Keepers down at the Metrodome, the good old Metrodome. And uh, I was there, got invited by somebody and I thought, well, hey, great. If I can go to a a men's conference and learn how to be a better Christian man, that'd be fantastic. I'm going to go. So I went to the conference seeking the Lord on how to be a better man. And it was a life-changing experience for me. The Holy Spirit came on me, and that's where my baptism the Holy Spirit experience was for the first time. And it was just amazing. But I went to the conference. I was just sitting at home watching football, and then God showed up. I was at a Christian conference seeking the Lord to become better. And then another time... I was driving my car and just talking to God. You ever have like an informal prayer time? You're just going through your life, but you're conscious of God and you're having an inner dialogue with God. And I was dealing with a situation of unforgiveness and it was a difficult one. And I had been trying to forgive for about a year. Now, of course, we're commanded to forgive in the scriptures, but it's not just a simple choice. It can be difficult to truly release to God and let it go and let God avenge and we forgive. It can be difficult to do that. And I was struggling and uh, I could tell it was eroding my relationship with God. And, and so I'm just driving along and talking to the Lord about this and telling him I'm having trouble forgiving. And I, you know, I, I'm saying all the right things and I'm saying I forgive. And then you can tell you, you haven't, you know, you haven't let it go. You haven't released it. Uh, you're not free from it yet. And so I'm sitting at a red light in Bemidji by the lake where Paul and babe are, you know, if you, if you know that I was sitting there and just talking to the Lord about this. And in my spirit, there was just this statement of unforgiveness is opposition to the cross. And it kind of shook me like, okay, if I don't forgive, I'm opposing what Jesus did on the cross. I'm opposing the greatest event in the history of the world. (laughs) Like, I don't want to be in opposition to the cross, but what's the point of the cross? The point of the cross is to take people's sins away and to set them free. What is unforgiveness? Unforgiveness is taking people's sins and smooshing it on them and keeping it on them. And that's the opposite of the cross. And so it was a huge moment for me. Like, no wonder my relationship with Jesus is fading if I'm opposing the cross. That's the way that's going to be. But I was in the inner dialogue with God. I was asking, I was seeking, and God responded. So these are just a few personal examples for me. But here's my fear. My fear is that people will assume that God is going to chase them down and they don't need to do anything. That they can just live their life, don't pray, don't go to church, don't study the scriptures, don't come to the altar for prayer, don't go to the conferences, don't do any of that and God's just going to chase them down and do everything he wants to do anyway. Now, that's, 
that's part of popular Christianity in today's world. You know, you get songs along those lines and it's, it's very romantic and cute, but it's not exactly true. Now, God will do that occasionally, but it is very much the exception to the rule. And so if you're not going to seek the Lord, if, if you're not going to do any of that, and you think it's just God's responsibility to chase you down, well, you're not going to have the vibrant life of following Christ that you could have. It's just not going to work. So let's look at Luke 15, because I think Luke 15 can help us out with this. This is where Jesus is responding to something, and then he gives three parables. And these parables are beautiful and super, super important, um, but we don't want to misunderstand and think that it's, it's God's move and I don't have to do anything. So what is Jesus responding to? Luke 15, 1 and 2 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So there are all kinds of people of ill repute, not good followers of God, in the meeting with Jesus. Jesus is having uh, special services, church services of some kind, uh, where he's teaching and all these people who aren't that great show up. And then verse two, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were basically complaining that the quality of the congregation that Jesus had brought in was just not good enough. These are not very godly people. These are tax collectors and sinners. Why are you having church with such imperfect people? So Jesus then responds to that with three parables. And in these parables, I see three types of people that you don't want to be. Three types of people that I don't want to be. And so let's look at these parables understand it's a response to grumpy religious people being judgmental about the congregation or the types of people that Jesus is trying to reach. So let's read these three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. So here we go. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. And loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So these first two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin are essentially the same parable that there are people who don't know God. There are people who are far away from God. They don't know how to find God and they need someone to help them, someone to bring them into faith in God. And then God and the angels in heaven are going to rejoice because the one person who is far away from God, who didn't know God, who didn't know how to find their way to God was 
found and came to faith. There will be a party in heaven. So if you're far from God, you can create a party in heaven by just repenting and coming to God. So those are the first two parables. And then the third one, the parable of the lost son is very similar, but there's a a new nuance to it. So let's read that one. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So three parables speaking to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, these grumpy followers of God who are complaining about the quality level of the congregation that was listening to Jesus speak. He tells them about the value of the individual, the one who is lost, who doesn't know God, who doesn't know the way to God. Jesus tells them how valuable they are to God and that there is great rejoicing in heaven when the individual who doesn't know God comes to faith in God. And then Jesus talks about the lost son, the one who isn't unaware of where his father's house is. He just doesn't want to be there. So three parables. And then there are three types of people you don't want to be. You don't want to be lost. 
You don't want to be in the place where you're wandering through this life and you're trying to do the best you can and you're comparing yourself to other people and you're you're just trying to make it work and you don't know that there's a higher purpose. You don't know that there's a higher plane of existence. You don't know about the spirit world and the plan God has for your life and everlasting life and the kingdom of God. You don't know anything about that. You're just stuck in this world and you're lost. And some people who are lost and it's not going well for them can be mired in all the evil and the darkness and they're overwhelmed and miserable and painful. Other people who are lost, things are going great. That's where I was. When I was a lost sheep, according to how this uh, would describe it, or a lost coin, I was completely content. <laughs> I didn't have any, any major problems. I had normal problems like a normal person, but I was totally content. I didn't, you know, uh, have a crisis. Oh, I'm in such pain. Somebody needs to rescue me. I didn't have any of that going on. You don't have to be in a place of pain and despair to be lost. You can be completely happy lost. That's where I was. So there's the lost. You don't want to be lost. Then there's the prodigal. This young son is often referred to as the prodigal son. This is someone who knows God, but just isn't interested in God. Knows the way to God. Knows the ways they need to serve God, but just is not in the mood and wants to do their own thing. That's the prodigal. And then the third group, the third type of person you don't want to be is the grumpy religious person. So that's the older son. And then that's the Pharisees and tax collectors that uh, Jesus is sending this parable to. So when I was lost, I had Three people reach out to me during my life. When I was in seventh grade, a friend invited me to church. I did go once, never went back. When I was a freshman in college, I was hanging out in Chicago with a friend and a dude named Orville Street Witness to me, which I thought was very interesting and strange. And my friend was like, yeah, let's get out of here. So we just left. And then uh, Trinette's dad, my father-in-law who passed away this, this past year, shared the gospel with me, gave me a Bible to read and helped me seek the Lord. So I didn't initiate any of those interactions. You know, I didn't tell my friend, hey, invite me to church. I didn't say to Orville, hey, by the way, you know, I didn't initiate any of these. So it's your move under rule of thumb. But I, I did then seek, I did read Matthew 7, 7 and 8. And then I did pray Matthew 7, 7 and 8 back to God and seek the Lord. I did do that. I did respond. Now we as Christians, are the hands and feet of Jesus, like Orville, like my father-in-law, uh, like that friend who invited me to church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, and we seek after the lost sheep. And so I am a believer. I'm part of the hands and feet of Jesus, and I am part of seeking after the lost sheep. So if you don't know God, let me tell you, you can have a relationship with the living God. He knows your name. He is real. There is a spirit realm. It's rational and coherent. And there's even scientific reasons to believe that there's more to this world than our four-dimensional atheism. So there is God. He knows your name. He's got a plan to give you new life, everlasting life, a spiritual life, and to be together with God forever. The way that you get connected with that is you talk to God, you ask him for new life, you ask him to forgive you of your past sins and to guide you into his ways and you pledge your life to serve the Lord. And then you read your Bible and you connect with some Christian people and you learn how to follow God. That's how you do it. It's, it's, 
Simple to start. It's more challenging to finish the race. So start, stay diligent, and finish the race. If you are lost, that's how you find God. So if you're a Christian, then you are part of the global redemption revolution. We are here to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. Or (laughs) if you're not participating, perhaps you're a prodigal. Perhaps you're someone who knows but is uninterested knows about the good things of God, knows about forgiveness in Christ, knows about new life, knows about freedom from darkness and power to overcome the enemy. You know about all of that stuff and you know all of the needs that are there in this world, but you just don't care. You want to go play on your own and do your own thing and enjoy your life without being bothered with the things of God. Perhaps you're a prodigal. Now, what happened with this prodigal? The father did not send anyone to chase down his younger son, his prodigal son. No one went after him. Let that sink in for a moment. If you think God is going to chase you down and that that's how it's supposed to work, then this would have been a great time for Jesus to explain that. But instead, in the parable that Jesus tells, the younger son who knows who the father is, who leaves, is left on his own to do all kinds of sinful things and mess everything up. He's left on his own when everything falls apart and he's starving to death and no one goes and no one calls him back. Nobody comes and throws a hood over his head, throws him in a van and drives him back home. He's just left. And then he comes to his senses. What did the younger son realize when he came to his senses? In verses 17 and 18, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He realizes it's his move. He doesn't cry. How come my father didn't send anybody to come and get me? He didn't do any of that. He realized it was his move. I need to go home. So he goes home and the father welcomes him. This is how God treats the prodigals. If you know the way home, but you're not living your life with Jesus, go home to Jesus. It's your move. Don't wait for God to chase you down. It's your move. Don't blame God and then wait for him to do something. It really is your move. Come to your senses like the prodigal son And go home to your father. So there's the lost. There's the prodigals. The other category of people you don't want to be is the grumpy religious person. Maybe you're like that. I hope not. You're there. You're participating. But you got a bad attitude. That's the grumpy religious person. You know, that's who these parables were directed at. The grumpy religious people who were complaining about the quality level of the congregation Jesus had at his meeting. They just didn't like them. They're just not good enough. They're kind of, they're sinful. They're tax collectors. These are imperfect people and they're all grumpy about it. And these religious grumpy people are still around today. I get lots of complaints actually about the types of people I let come to church here and be in our services. I get people complaining about that. Let me tell you, Good Hope Church has a policy. Anyone can attend, but not just anyone can have influence. Jesus let anyone come in, but he didn't just appoint anyone to be an apostle. No, he spent all night praying and sought the Father and picked the 12. He didn't just like, oh, hey, you're here. Wow, you're messed up. Be an apostle. He he didn't do that. He didn't promote people inappropriately, but he also didn't exclude people from the big group gathering. 
And that's the stance we have. Anyone can come to Good Hope Church. I don't care. You know, you got all kinds of problems. You've done all, you don't even believe in God. Come on in. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Now we're not going to have you teach Sunday school. You know, it's going to be a while. You got to come to faith. You got to get through the, the junk in your life. You got to reach up, rise up, then you can reach out. There's a process there, but you're welcome here, wherever you are. Even if you don't believe, even if you got serious problems, you can come. We're not going to have you volunteer, <laughs> but you can come. All right. Those grumpy religious people are still around and bad attitude Christians are a pain. You know what I mean? They're just a pain. The only thing worse than being somebody like that, because that's a dark place to be, is having to deal with people like that. But unfortunately, it's easy to get caught up in becoming a bad attitude Christian, a grumpy religious person. It's easy to slip into that. And I've been a Christian about 33 years. Sometimes my attitude hasn't been the best. So I want to share with you something that helps me keep my attitude in the right place. What I do, this is based on Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And it's, it's just something that had a huge impact on my life. And it's something that I base this thought experiment on. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles so that bad attitude is something that hinders. We can get caught up in the sins of this world, even as believers. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So these grumpy Christians are growing weary in a certain way. So what I do is I write up a list of grievances, which I have done, and then I do this. I picture that I'm looking at the ground. And I'm, I'm outside and it's very, very bright. There's a hot sun burning. It's hot. And the ground is very arid and dry. And there's some sand and some stones and maybe a scraggly little weed. And then I'm looking at this piece of ground with my little list. And then I see a drip of something hit the ground. And as I look up, there's a big post in the ground. And then I see feet with a nail through it, and I look up, and there's Christ on the cross, scourged, beaten, wounded, and we make eye contact. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I look at him, and I start to read my list. And I say, some of the church people got mad over how we handled COVID. <laughs> and he looks at me, I say, I, I try to get people to pray for five minutes. We made little cards and a bunch of them, they can't even pray for five minutes a day. They say they're Christian people. They won't even pray for five minutes. And Jesus looks at me and all of a sudden, all that stuff just doesn't matter. And sometimes he'll say something like, just teach him my word. And I'll say, okay, I'll just read your word and I'll tell, I'll tell him about it. It'll be okay. He says, yeah, you go do that. And it, it helps my attitude. If you're someone who has some attitude issues, you're a Christian, but you get grumpy, you look at other Christians, you're like, ah, what are they doing here? They're not very good. Write that on a piece of paper and do that thought experiment. It's a type of prayer. and Try to hear from God where your heart should be. So let's wrap this up. The point of what I'm trying to get at here is that you need to take responsibility to initiate your own spiritual growth and your own relationship with God. It's your move. 
If you're lost, I've explained to you how to start a relationship with God. It's your move. If you're a prodigal, I've explained to you, you know how to go home. Go home. It's your move. If you're a grumpy religious person, I gave you uh, something to do, a technique of, of prayer, of going before the crucified Christ, you know, taking Hebrews 12, one through three into consideration and, and looking at the crucified Christ and telling him your problems and your issues and having that straighten out your attitude. It's your move. Don't be tricked by pop Christianity or various theologies into complacency and blame. It's your move. Take initiative. We're going to close with just reading Matthew 7, 7 and 8 again. Hugely important verses in my life. And we'll read these and we'll pray. And let's go ahead and do them. Let's go ahead and ask and seek and knock. So let's read and we'll close in prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you that you do not leave us. You do not forsake us. But when we ask, you respond. When we seek you, we can find you. When we knock on the door, you do not leave it locked and reject us, but you open the door and let us in. So Father, I pray that you would prompt by your spirit in all of our hearts, anyone who is hearing this right now, to ask of you. We do not receive because we do not ask. So Lord, let us ask of you, not just living our life in the assumption that you're going to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. But Lord, your word says that we do not have because we do not ask. You call us to ask. And so Lord, prompt us what to ask for. Lord, we also seek you for understanding. We seek you to answer questions. We seek you to heal our hearts and to bring us into alignment with you and your spirit. And Lord, prompt us what to seek for and what we need on the other side of the door when we knock. Help us, Lord, to initiate early and often and to know that it's our move. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.